0: Does everyone have notes? A little behind the scenes, I started to look around. I didn't have my notes. I left them back there on the table. <laughs> that was a little disconcerting there for a couple of seconds. Yeah. Okay, pray for me as we go through this today. I'm anxious, but I don't know if it's timing or what, but okay, um, just a little bit of review. As it should always when we're going through scripture, um, there is a, I can't do it right, can I? (laughs) We are on verses eighteen through twenty. It's not chapter eleven like I tried to do last week. And yeah, thank, thank you, Bennett. Yes. Anyway, I, God's just keeping you humble. Yes, He is. Although, <laughs> yeah. There's not much. I don't have to. I don't tough. have to. I don't have to do that either. <laughs> it's, it comes natural. Um, as with all scripture, you should see a thread running through this book. Um, the last couple weeks are bleeding through into this week and, and everything. The first week, first week, we were on the salutation. And does anyone remember what I'm calling the peace equation? It was God's grace. We get something we don't deserve. Plus God's mercy. Something's withheld from us that we do deserve. Equals the peace. That you get. And that's when you have a coworker that says, What is it about you? What is it that there's something about you? And go, well, let me tell you that. You know, the world can be falling down around you, and there's still a peace about you. And that's where that peace comes from, is knowing that we have the grace and the mercy. In the same week, we determine that if the we determine if the law was good or bad. Did we, does anyone remember, was the law good or was the law bad? It's good. Yeah. Only if it's used the right way. Correct. Right. And it should be, it should point out our sins. You know, I pointed out Ray Comfort that, you know, says, have you ever lied? Oh yeah. Have you ever, you know, committed adultery? Well, no. Jesus said you look at a woman with lust in your heart you've committed adultery, okay yeah I've done that, and you go through all of it you go, I'm a sinner I'm a dirty rotten sinner and so that's what the law is for then last week we looked over how God's grace and mercy played a part in Paul's life, so our goal today is to finish chapter one and get into part of chapter two, um We start getting into some heavy stuff in chapter 2, but we're going to finish chapter 1. 1 Timothy, it is chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, Mm -hmm. among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn to blaspheme. So we start in verse 1. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. In the first Verse Paul establishes his, his authority. Then he, he also said, Who gave it to him? Remember, we, we saw that um, before. Why isn't this a command? Why, why isn't this command that Paul is charging Timothy with in verse 2 or 3? We're all the way down in verse 18 why don't you think that he put it at the beginning? Paul was establishing his own authority at that time, but here he's charging Timothy to preach the gospel. He's charging Timothy to preach the gospel. Paul first laid out the gospel, and then he charged Timothy. I'm sure anyone in in work, I thought of Buds work. They would say, "What we need is this to be done, and this is what it's going to do. This is how it's going to work. Make it happen." It's kind of what Paul's doing here. Paul said, "Here's the gospel. Now preach it." He didn't just make a charge or command; he entrusted him with it, and we saw that saw that earlier when when. uh, uh, Paul said that he was entrusted with the gospel. I wanted to point out he didn't just flatly charge Timothy to do something; he entrusted him to it. There was an encouragement. It's, it's, a, it's an encouragement device that's been used successfully on me, and I tried to think back to something and and Chris. I'm going to have you change the oil in the car. I know you can do it, but I'm laying this responsibility on you. I need to make sure I drain the oil before I put the new oil in. I need to make sure that I put new oil in after I drained it. That'd be a problem. It would, it would. You have to make, there's, there's several things. Make sure the oil filters taken off. I learned where all the Greece search was, they had degrees. The Those don't exist anymore. But um so a big part of this verse is Paul encouraging Timothy. And we'll find out later in these epistles. Timothy is not exactly who you would choose to be a bold preacher or be a bold proclaimer of the gospel. I would dare say most pastoral search committees would overlook Timothy. There's a lot of churches today, as a side note, that wouldn't invite Jesus to preach in their pulpit. But that's another sermon for another time. (laughs) Um, Take note here that Paul entrusted him with this charge. He gives him, I tried to think of a different, I like this. He gave him a literary hug. I'm entrusting you with this, Timothy. I want you to, to benefit from this. Paul reminds him of how fond he is of my child. You know, he didn't go into everything, but you can almost hear it in him saying, remember that time that we went and we broke bread at that person's house and, and all the the fun times and we laughed and and." <clears throat> we shared Jesus and, and I told you again about my, my conversion experience on the road to Damascus because I'm, I bet people that were around Paul heard that story a lot it's Father's Day and we were talking about it yesterday my dad loved talk stories most fathers do and you hear the same story over and over and over and men would always remind me she'd say there's going to come a time you're going to want to hear that story. How many times do you think those people hanging around Paul heard this? And then he knocked me off. I'm riding my donkey. I wasn't off barrel. He knocked me off my donkey and I lost my eyesight. Mm -hmm. You know, can you imagine? He loved telling that story. So when he says, my child, there's this love that oozes from Paul for Timothy. Um, if I wrote a letter to a good friend and for those younger in here, writing letters is when you take out a piece of paper and um, You mean you, text don't qualify? <laughs> the text don't qualify. Um, I would occasionally say, my dear friend It's like this little literary hug It's a reminder You mean a lot to me And once again, it's encouragement to Timothy When I read prophecies previously made about you, I went, prophecies? piqued my interest. So I found a very in-depth article that broke down the Greek verbs and nouns. And I was going to explain it all to you, but you know, with the time, all I, uh, yeah. But first, We're going to go through a few verses here. 1 Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the gift I gave Sorry. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Paul says that there was a council of elders and they must have laid hands on Timothy because Paul was there to do the same. As I was writing this, I kept picturing, does anyone remember when they when we sent Brady off to camp? What did Tim do? He prayed over him and he put his hand on his shoulder. I have seen um, elders being brought into a church, instituted into a church, um, ordained by the church, but they will bow in front of the church, toward him. it's important they're toward the church, and all the elders will gather around them and lay their hands on him and pray for him because he is serving Christ in the church. So then you go to 2 Timothy 1 6. I hope I'm not stealing any thunder this morning. For this reason, I remain to you a fantastic. Into the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Once again, Paul's laying his hands on Timothy. It's a spiritual process that's being carried out in this council of elders. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of of many witnesses this is quite possibly another mention of that council of elders so what was the council of elders well the most historical book I think of the Bible is Acts Acts 13 verses 1 through 3 now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, (coughs) Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is most likely the counsel that the elders prophesied about Timothy. And they laid their hands on him. So this verse ends with an encouragement. Wage the good warfare. It speaks directly into the battle that is ahead for Timothy. He's already told him, there are false teachers coming into the church. And you need to fight these men. You need to stand up to them. Once again, Timothy was a meager, meager young man and, and not not bold in spirit as much, but a bab, a battle, not just the ministry, but in life. This should be an encouragement to us as well. We should always finish strong. We know Tim was always, you know in a 4/7 Paul said, I have fought the good fight. And we know the end of Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7, is pretty close to it. These are the last recorded words of Paul. He feels his life pouring out. Like he feels his, his life pouring out. Yeah. He knows it's coming. He knows what's ahead of him. It's his second imprisonment, <laughs> and this one's not going to end as well as the first one. And the first one really did not work well. So Paul saw his journey of faith as a race. Always working, always training, always striving to cross the finish line. We can't all be lucky enough to live 89 years. We can't be lucky enough to live 98 years. Side story, working in a nursing home, and I had a guy I took care of, that I knew him from church. I knew him from when I was a little kid. And Fritz, Fritz Marsh, Fritz and Edie Marsh, but Edie had passed away, and I, he said, I'm going to the doctor today. I said, well, good luck. And he came back, I said, Fritz, what did the doctor say? He said, ah, that crack. He said he saw no reason why I couldn't live to be 100 years old. He was 98. <laughs> he said, I, he saw no reason. I said, Fritz, that's wonderful news. He said, if God has any grace at all, I'm not going to make it to 100.
1: <laughs> he
0: goes, I miss my wife, I've lost kids. He said, I want to go home and be with my savior. We but we don't always have that chance. We should always be striving to cross that finish line. Whether we're that old or you know, the a friend of mine, her husband, probably around my age, between fifty-two and fifty-six, had cancer and passed away this week. first post the next morning, I hope I can say it. she said well I woke up this morning for the first time as a widow mm-hmm. but she knew and he was a Christian and she's a Christian she knew that he had run that race he always worked hard for that does anyone have anything before we move on to the next verse additions, subtractions complaints So it says, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this, some have shipwrecked. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Holding faith and a good conscience is important. Acts 24, 24 16 says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Here we are in Acts, and Paul speaking, he said we should have a clear conscience. In having a clear conscience, we should listen to it. We need to be careful. I may say this later, but it's not the voice of God that's speaking. It's a conscience. It's our conscience. As we live our life, we need to constantly listen to that constant voice that's telling us whether we should or should not be doing something. Now, remember, the heart is deceitful above all else. But you want to listen to that. And and where does that conscience come from? But one writer said, the conscience entreats us to do what we believe right and restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong. The word of God should inform your conscience. And in turn, listening to your conscience will direct your steps accordingly. If you saturate yourself with the word of God in prayer. Um, making sure you're here when we have the Lord's Supper. Next week, be ready for it. we close to it. You, you, want, you want to have the word of God, and as you're reading this, it's forming that conscience. It's much like we've talked about having a strong theology will build our Christian worldview. Having the word of God will build a strong conscience and will remind you what is wrong and what is right. I heard a story about a plane crash back in 1984, the Spanish, Spanish flight. The black box revealed that the warning system told the pilot that they were too low. Pull up, pull up, pull up, the system reported. The pilot continued to prepare his approach to the runway. The system again said, pull up, pull up, pull up, the pilot ignoring the warning. Flipped the switch and the black box revealed that he said, Shut up, gringo. Those were one of his last words as the plane hit a television tower on the mountain and 147 people lost their lives. We have that warning system in us, it's fueled by the word of God, but the word enables our conscience to warn us. How often do you hear, Pull up? pull up. But you reach down and you flip the switch. You say, shut up. The first time you do it, it keeps going off and it's loud. That that warning's loud. You know, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna keep doing this. Whatever it is. It's obviously not right because your warning system is telling you not to. But then the next time you do it, that that warning's going off. It's not quite as loud. And we're quicker to reach for that switch. The next time, it's even quieter. Until after we have just continued on this road of sin, you don't even hear the warning sign. You don't even have to flip the switch because you've already flipped it before the warning sign before the warnings start going off. If doom is impending, you need to hear the warning. There's a vital connection between our faith and our conscience. John Calvin said, The metaphor of a shipwreck is very apt, for it suggests that if we wish to reach port intact, We should make a good conscience the pilot of our course, or otherwise there is a dangerous shipwreck. Faith may be sunk by a bad conscience as by a whirlpool in a stormy sea. So we should listen to our Bible-fueled conscience. We should listen to our Bible-fueled conscience. Next, Paul starts naming names. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander who might have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. I love it when you're having a discussion or you may just see someone make a post or something and they go, well, you know, Jesus would have done this. Or you know Christians should fill in the blank and they tell us how we should I'm like are you a Christian no well how do you know how I should react but the world tries to tell Christians that well the bible says not to judge so so how how do you how do you say that the transgender movement right now is wrong that pride month is wrong will probably come before the fall. I'll just throw that one out there. <coughs> but, um, so, I could try list several sermons that point to this scripture, but context is everything. The first thing I would tell someone who says, Christians aren't supposed to judge, I'd say read the whole chapter i seen a meme on, on Facebook. It, it shows this scripture and it says, judge not. And then they scribbled out the rest, <laughs> the rest of, the, of the verse, you know. So Paul doesn't hesitate here to point out some who rejected the faith. Hymenaeus perverted the church. 2 Timothy 2, verses 16 and 17. tells what happened here. But, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gay greed. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Avoid irreverent talk in those who spread it. has anyone ever seen the effects of game green whether it be in pictures or you know I saw it in Lonesome Dove I don't know if anyone saw that but it is violently swift and it stinks and it does not smell pretty ironically it smells like rotting flesh isn't that funny how how it goes that way it wasn't too long ago that there was one cure for gangrene. And that was to chop it off. And to go, if you had gangrene on your lower leg, your upper leg, or at least half of your upper leg was probably going to get removed too. You need to get it from before the root. Paul is comparing this irreverent talk and this blasphemy Irreverent babble, as he used it, he's, a, he's comparing it to Green. Well, how should you deal with blasphemy? Cut it off at its root. Before we continue with the analogy, I want to mention the name Alexander is thrown in there. Alexander would be much like a John or a Peter back in the day Um, it's a very common name so we don't know who Alexander was but uh, Paul felt that it was important enough for Timothy to know who Alexander was and probably Alexander would be associated with Hymenaeus and so they kind of went hand in hand but remember he's entrusting him he's charging him with the church and he's saying these are people who blaspheme God Back to our analogy. It's how do you deal with it? You remove gangrene at its source. You remove the, offes- the off- offensive flesh to protect the body. Hymenaeus and Alexander, what happened to them? But what did Paul do to Hymenaeus and Alexander? He handed them over to Satan. Wow, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? But what we see through Scripture is being handed over to Satan, is being excommunicated from the church. Back in the day, when you were excommunicated from church, you didn't go and jump in your car and run down to the Grace Baptist and start going there. There was one church. You were excommunicated from church. You were excommunicated from church. Real quick, in today's world, if you do jump in your car and go to the Grace Baptist, be pretty assured if you've been excommunicated from one church, that pastor is going to be telling other pastors and you won't be going there with a clear conscience. But in the first century, you couldn't be kicked out of church and going to church down the street. Why such a drastic measure? It's to save the church. It's church discipline. The ultimate goal for church discipline is reconciliation. You want to bring that person back to a holy God. That's why it's a long process. Matthew 18, it looks like a short... You know, if you see a brother in sin, you go to him. If that doesn't do it, bring bring someone with you. If that doesn't do it, bring him before the church. And if that doesn't do it, kick him out. That's not a, a four-week process. <laughs> you know. Um, it is a long, you're counseling that person, you're reaching out to them. But you're doing it for the church. You're keeping that truth. A little leaven leavens the loaf, right? You don't want. You don't want that. But there is also something else here. Paul wanted Hymenaeus and Alexander to learn not to blaspheme. Mm-hmm. Once again, the goal of church discipline is always reconciliation and the well-being of the soul of that person. We may come up short. Would. That's okay. We're going to start chapter two, and uh, go go a little ways in there, and then uh, I saw a little bit of a breaking point. I didn't want to get into the second part of chapter two, but we'll get into the first or to the second chapter here. By the way, I did catch. I originally typed First Timothy one. I changed this one, so I do I do look over it sometime. First of all, yes. then I urge. That supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher. And an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles. In faith and truth. So we look at that first verse. First of all then. I urge that supplication, Prayers. <clears throat> intercession. And thanksgiving. Be made for all people. We get as far as the first. Verse. Or the first word before we realize there's something important to be said. It's one reason I like Paul. He didn't have any wasted words. First, first of all, tells us that prayer is of the utmost importance in the church. Remember, we're still working with the handbook of the local church. Paul's laying out how a church should be run. Does anyone notice two things, in particular, that happen at Trinity Baptist Church? That's that's very important. The first one we're talking about right here. Prayers. prayers, prayers, prayer. It doesn't matter if it's our Lord's Day service, Wednesday evening Bible study, Friday night grocery, group, Wednesday breakfast. We pray. We pray. I told you I attended the meeting for the for the children's volunteers, for the teachers and everything. And I sat here, and they opened with prayer. It was just a meeting for the volunteers. But we pray. Why is this important? We're going back to that equation again. I keep drilling this into your head because I keep drilling it into my own head. I, I can't escape that it's all through this. You think about the peace that we experience because the sovereign creator, redeemer God gave us something we didn't deserve and withheld something we didn't deserve. We woke up this morning. That's common grace. That's common grace. There's grace. But did I deserve to open my eyes this morning? No. That same mighty God redeemed my life from the pit. Don't you think God should be addressed and praised every chance we get? We need his power just to get through this Sunday school class. Let alone the worship service and that's for his glory and praise. How important do you think prayer was for the disciples? Did they ever go to prayer service? Did they ever go to the temple to pray? You don't have to get much farther than Acts 3. Something else happened in Acts 2. Can't quite put my finger on something that happened in Acts 2. The church was born in Acts 2. But what's what are they doing in Acts 3? Now Peter and John, Acts 3 verse 1. Now Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They were going up to pray. This is just one example. And in the interest of time, and I should have pulled up four or five more. There are numerous times that they were going to pray. How much did Jesus pray? He was getting ready to go to his death and he went to his father. He didn't want to. Remember, take this cup for me. If there's another way, and someone who's fully God knew that there was no other way. But he was always praying. He went to the tomb where Lazarus was buried. He knew what was going to happen. He told he told Martha, he said, he's just asleep. No, you can't lay him out. Surely, he, I think King James says, he stinketh by now. <laughs> you know? But what did he do? He prayed. So, Prayer is highly important. And then second, and I'm not going to go much into this, the Word of God, Scripture, is prominent at TBC. This text is focused on the prayer. And so I hope we get a chance to go back sometime to how important Scripture is. And how many times do do we read Scripture in, in the service? We have the confession, which comes straight from scripture. We um, we read it. Tim, Tim will, will preach on it. That's just three right off. And then he does the, the benediction, which is scripture. Every chance the church needs to be saturated in scripture and in prayer. So then it goes on to who we should pray for. We should pray for all people. Can anyone think of anyone that might be outside the circle of someone that might need prayer? I can't think of anyone. So the first thing, Christians, how should we pray for all people? The first one is supplications. supplications for the averting of evil. Another word for supplication is petition. We are to plead with God to stop evil. I've heard sermons on precatory prayers. Has anyone ever heard of a precatory prayer? There are psalms that are asking basically for God to come down and destroy people because they are against God. Um, for the last 50 years, Christians have been praying to end abortion. It isn't eliminated, but I heard this week that more more butcher clinics were being closed. Prayers are effective. You pray for the end of the evil. Prayers, there, you have supplication. You have prayers for the obtaining of good. We also need to pray for good as well. I think this should be an easy prayer for a godly person. There's a, a ministry that I've been following called Safe Haven Baby Boxes. Has anyone heard of Safe Haven Baby Boxes? It's a nonprofit that puts high-tech boxes in firehouses. They put them in the wall of the firehouse. Someone has a baby and they realize I can't do this. And instead of dumping them in a fire, in a dumpster someplace, they take this child, they put it in, they open up the door. It looks a lot like a safety deposit box, it's real big. They open this metal door, they lay the baby in, and then there's a packet of information they take with them and they close it. It locks. When they lay the baby on that, there's a weight trigger. That triggers alarm. And the firemen are at that baby's side in minutes. You pray for the attaining of good. This is a good we can pray for. This is just an example. We need to find good to pray for. Next is intercession for others. Intercession means to entreat on behalf of another. We talked about these a lot of times in the Lord's Prayer lesson. Ironically, the class was set up like this for some reason I remember. I, I taught through the Lord's Prayer. And we, we just got done making a list of prayers for others, didn't we? I wanna emphasize that we pray for unbelievers and believers alike. We need them equally, but don't you think unbelievers need prayer a little bit more than we do? they need their eyes opened to God. How many have prayers in your quiet time that God would call an unbeliever to himself? I pray for my kids all the time. So I want to make a point here that we need to pray for our pastor. I've said it several times. I will continue to say it. The Puritan said, pray your pastor for and he will preach you full. Has anyone ever heard the story of Spurgeon's Boiler Room? Some men asked Charles Spurgeon where he got the strength to do all that he did and still deliver such powerful sermons up to five times a week. The man didn't just preach on Sunday morning. He had them follow him to the basement of the church. He took him to a small room where prayer volunteers were Praying for him and for the church. They weren't just praying for Chuck, but for all of the church. Sometimes you read Charles Spurgeon so much, just, I just call him Chuck. But we have to pray for everyone inside and outside the church. Can you imagine what would happen in Muncie, Indiana, and the country if we could do that? Yes, Ben?
1: Yeah, I think I... Uh, with what you are saying. One of the things about Spurgeon's church, up to today is still functioning. Mm-hmm. I mean, strongly. And at the time he had his church, he had contemporaries and all the churches folded up. But see Spurgeon, even though it went down early nineteen hundreds, you know, but it's always been mm-hmm. sustained by God, you know. So I think what you are saying is really true and I mean to think that today we are talking about the boiler room, I mean churches rather are closing the prayer meeting. If, in fact always the first service to be closed down when churches are thinking of you know having more time. So what would happen to our churches in the next few years if we are not careful? Is it any wonder that you know There's so much unbelief
0: around you. So what would happen? That's what Ben is saying. What would happen in Muncie, Indiana? And the country if we could do that. We can in our own way. During the last few weeks here, 1 Timothy preached from the pulpit. 2 Timothy will be preaching later on. But 1 Timothy told us how we could pray. So we also have Thanksgiving. Thanksgivings for mercies already received. Give thanks for all things. I can quickly think of things that we would seem a little odd to pray for cancer, illness, death, and the act, and accidents are just a short list of these. But here Paul says to specifically be thankful for the mercies received. Here's a recurring theme of Paul. Prayers for obtaining good. Certainly sounds like grace, but here he straight up instructs us to pray for mercies received. There it is again. Grace plus mercy. Every time I think about that, it blows my mind. I'm not going to go to the next verse. Those notes will go on to next week. (laughs) Um, does anyone have any any questions, concerns?
1: Yeah. Uh, when we spoke about uh, Emmanuel and Alexander, do mm-hmm. you think this was just a private info- piece of information for uh, Timothy, or you think that the bigger church was made aware of these two men? you think it's just a...
0: It's... It's a bit of a warning shot, I think. He's informing Timothy because as a pastor of a church, just like I said, if, if you're excommunicated from a church, there are going to be other pastors in the area that are going to know why you were excommunicated because they need to know if some leaven's entering their loaf, if you will. So, but then at the same time, I think for the greater church, you know, watch yourself. Don't blaspheme God because look at Hymenaeus and Alexander. You know, yeah, I think, I think it was also for the, the greater church. That's a good question. Anyone else? Let's go ahead and pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that uh, you have given this writing through Paul to Timothy. We're thankful for, for those uh, preachers who have gone on before us, just as Paul and Timothy have to um, teach us and lead us and guide us father we're uh, thankful that we have this opportunity to gather together we are thankful for the service today we're thankful and we pray for the worship team for pastor tim as, as he brings us the message may it be your words through his lips and uh, father we we just lift you up, and and we pray that that you will be glorified in in this coming hour. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen.